This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 368. And the quote of the day is, life is a learning process. Learning is a lifelong process. You can't separate the two. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond and beyond and beyond what is going on nick here and this is episode 368 of the podcast and i have john fishman from fish and this is this is one of the most special interviews that i've ever done let me explain why i went to a fish concert when i was 15 years old And after the concert, I knew that that's what I wanted to do for a living. I was like, that's it. I want to play music. I want to play drums. And I didn't really know what was going on with the concert or anything like that, but I was blown away. And since then, I'd gone to 90 fish shows and fish was an education for me. They introduced me to a lot of different bands and I met a lot of great people when I was, when I was on tour going to see fish and they introduced me to a lot of great music. And it was really, for me, it was almost like a college education in music. And I don't really know exactly what it was about the band that I was so drawn to, but there was something about the fact that they were improvising. There was something about the fact that it wasn't this full on like pyro outfit kind of rock star show. It was just four guys on stage not only that but they were playing a wide variety of styles of music and a wide variety of of cover songs so they would play you know the beatles or zeppelin or something like that but then they would play their own originals that one was a bluegrass tune one was a funk tune one was a rock tune and that was what i really liked then meeting all the other people and learning all the other stuff about different styles of music was was huge for me it was really amazing And I know I'm not the only one because they're still killing it and they just sold out 13 nights at Madison Square Garden last summer. So they're doing something right. But this is an amazing conversation for me to have. I'm so honored to be able to do this. Also, this is a very long conversation. It's three plus hours. So I took a poll and people said that they would rather have it released as two separate episodes. So we're splitting it in half. So this is part one of the Fishman interview, and then we will come out with the next one next week. So please enjoy this conversation with the amazing, the one and only John Fishman. John Fisherman, how are you? Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I'm glad to be here. This has been a long time coming. So uh... the icy chunk of rock that I'm transmitting from should be in perfect orbit for this right now. So we, we have to get it in before I get onto the dark side of the moon there, and I'm not able to see or hear you anymore. So what happened before? You like there was some work done in your house, and the guy just cut the line. Yeah, well, our, this friend of ours, George, who plows here and stuff, we got a, one of those York rakes on the back of the tractor. He was just getting potholes out of the driveway and just drove over the wire that was buried a little shallow. <laughs> it was just, it was like the regular copper wire. It wasn't in a conduit or anything. I mean, our main power kind of up this road it was put in, in in like 1972, and there's no, it's not even in a conduit or anything. You know, we could just lose all our power at any moment. Right. But it's been going fine for, you know, 40 years or something. So we, we had the, t- the town, but the town up here, even though we're in pretty rural part of Maine, we uh, started putting in fiber optics. And uh, like I have 
people, I have friends that live in big cities are like, you have fiber optics there? You know? <laughs> but it, the fiber optics seem to be a little bit, a little, they're a little shaky still here. We're still getting it dialed in, but it's better than the last time I talked to you. So what do you have, because I, I know that you're, you're in a rural part of Maine. So what do you have, a, a, a farm up there? And do you have a store or something like that? Do you own a, do you have a store up there? Our farm is called Elderflower Farm. And we've owned it since 06. We moved back and forth to Vermont a bunch of times, but we've settled in here for going on three years now. And this fall, we opened the reopened the Lincolnville Center General Store, which has been a store for the better part of the last 150 years. And it's really the last eight years since we purchased it from the previous owner. It's been an on again, off again project that, you know, we, we always had in the back of our minds and it would occasionally get put on, on the back burner when we were in the midst of our moving. And once we settled in here, we finally got some follow through with the intent to renovate and reopen the store. And even then, once we made up our mind to do it, there were a lot of hoops to jump through. Mm-hmm. uh to get, actually get it done you know because a lot of the regulations that we have now the days in terms of environment and transportation and all that kind of stuff infrastructure stuff um are you know 20 30 40 years ago 100 years ago and uh the previous owners had owned it for a number of years it was in the, f- the same family i think for about 25 years and so all of the escaping all of those <laughs> newer <laughs> was grandfathered in for them but when we came along it was like welcome to your new ownership you get to go and clean up all the messes we've been waiting to make someone clean up here for years so right we had to like dig up the old diesel tanks and made sure they were buried correctly mm. in a diverse certain way we had to you know all approval from various entities and so yeah so it was like two years of just that you know red Jeez. tape before we actually got yeah but it's great it's great are you like are you physically do you work in the store uh, no, I, I mean, I'm there a lot. My family's there a lot, but it's really my wife and a good friend of ours who happens also to be the chairman of the select board, uh, lately done are they, the two of them are the main visionaries behind, you know, the, the whole, they, they did all of the research and visiting lots of other places and everything and, you know, deciding what to do here right? and what kinds of things they want to offer and all that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm involved in, to the extent that I go in there and eat a lot there <laughs> and, and loiter. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah. And I mean, I helped fund it, obviously. Rock and roll was has been good to me that way. So it, it allowed us to fund it all. Right. So in, in 20 or 30 years, it should pay itself back. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great endeavor. It's really been good. It's a good thing for the community. It's it's good for our family. It's a win-win situation for, for everybody to reinvigorate the center a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We have the store at one end of the town, and and the other end has the, the new town library. So it's it's really shaping up over there. Nice. And how big? Is, I mean, is it a big is it a big store? Uh, the store itself is like uh, it's you know it's it's about the size of your typical you know old school town small town general store yeah yeah you know i mean it's a three-story building but we have all the most of the cooking and infrastructures in the basement and and then there's some the back part of the store is uh, is some other stoves and ovens and things and 
there's a hot bar and baked goods and all that kind of stuff and oh, coffee cool. and everything back. And then the front part of the store is kind of the more produce bulk, right. cooler, um, you know, shelving. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Just a couple places to sit, you know, it's kind of got a little of everything. I like it. I like it. I yeah. come from the, the hospitality business. My family's been in the restaurant business since the 70s. So I appreciate that kind of stuff. And I know the hoops you got to jump through with regulations. We need to keep this going. We like, don't actually talk about drugs at all. This isn't this. I tricked you. This is actually a, a uh, cooking podcast. No, I like this. This is really. I think this is really the way it should continue. We should. We should avoid the subject of drums at all costs. Yeah. And we should really discuss anything but drums, and probably not get into politics either. Right. Right. Uh, but but you know if we if we did that in an odd way, it it may be the most informative and useful conversation about drumming ever it may be are you are you like (laughs) just talk about the general store (laughs) are you like a muffins at 375 kind of guy or are you like a 425 kind of guy (laughs) yeah no 375 i I like i definitely warm muffin i wouldn't i wouldn't recook i wouldn't (laughs) recook just warm you know warm warm it up i don't really want to melt the sugar i still want the sugar to be intact all right everyone's gonna kill us so um, the raisins to get crispy. Of course, of course, crispy raisins are <laughs> is what you want. So I want to go back and I want to build a little bit of context for you. Like you said, rock and roll has been good to you. You've been in fish since 1983. You were born in Philadelphia. That's my hometown. So I appreciate that. I love it. And so I know you were adopted. You you go to you go to um, you end up in Syracuse, right? Oh yeah. Here's something we can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have it. <laughs> You know that you know that uh, DNA service thing in twenty three and me. Yeah. You know what? Actually, let's not let's not let's not get into that. Go ahead. Ask what you were going to ask. <laughs> I realized that there, I, I it's uh oh it probably doesn't matter. It probably doesn't matter. Nobody listens to um, the podcast anyway, so don't worry about it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there's really only one part. You know. It, it's it's funny. It's like I I, I almost would the, the only person I think that would have any sensitivity to what I was about to get into was my was was possibly my dad. You know, uh huh. But I don't care if he finds out. I'll t- I'll t- I'll we we can talk about it. It's it's there's there's I don't think there's any I don't think there's any issue. But I so I did this twenty three and me thing right. You right. Spit in a tube and you send it off and like a month later they send you their your makeup. So you know I was adopted. At two weeks old by my parents in Philadelphia from an osteopathic hospital in Philadelphia, which no longer exists. And, uh, and they're, they're Jewish. I was, so I was raised by this Jewish couple. So it turns out that I'm basically an Irish Italian Jew, which I, there can't be too many of those. <laughs> right. That's a bizarre kind of combination. I'm Irish but and Italian, Irish and not Jewish, but Italian. Irish and Italian. Are not, known for their, are not known for their deep Jewish <laughs> right <laughs> population. So, Within like 48 hours of getting the information back, I had contact with a first cousin and a flood of pictures of my birth mother's and my birth mother and the, that whole side of my direct blood relations. Are you serious? My, yeah. I mean, this is the, a testament to technology. It was incredible. Before my mother died, she did. She did tell me that the, the my, my birth mother's name was uh, Jane Scanlon, which was about all she knew. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, I, it turned out that um, uh, I talked to a first cousin. I ended up, 23andMe, ended up being in touch with a first cousin. 
And then I was able to ask her questions directly. And she was really helpful and uh, more than happy to be, you know, informative as I wanted. And she said, yeah, I got pictures. And, you know, it's I was one of three boys uh, born to this uh, to Jane, who was two, the first two of whom were given up for adoption, and the third was raised. And uh, I actually sent a private message to the guy who was supposedly my half brother living in Chicago. And I, you know, I just sent this bomb of a private message, like, "Hey, I'm, you know, Joe Fish, I'm your half brother," and blah, blah, you know, you must have thought I was crazy. I got no response back from him. Oh, but really? That's okay. It's, but um. It's really interesting. I feel like there's know, a bunch of people listening frantically time. checking people in Chicago frantically checking their messages right now. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, I know. I mean, I definitely, I definitely, I definitely directly messaged him, and I, I'm pretty sure he he probably would have gotten in. And right, um, but and, and admittedly, if I had received something like that, I might have thought. I, I told, I figured by telling him that I'm the drummer and fish that he it would be an easy thing to look up and verify, and that you know, like that would sort of de kookify me right in, right. in the recipient's uh, mind but uh, someone pointed out well he could have just thought you were lying yeah that's <laughs> true sure the drummer <laughs> so <laughs> uh, i mean there's really no proof of anything of who you know for that person for who i am and whatever so anyway but but it was it was what was fascinating was having a picture of my um my birth mother you know and for the first time in my life other than my children who I can see, you know, they my resemblance in my own children. Right. But this is the first relatives that I was able to see, you know, someone kind of looked like me. Sure. But, you know, and then on the and that was the Irish side, and it's easier because it's the mom side. And uh, but the uh, other family um, is uh, uh, seem like really great people, super super helpful. Uh, and uh, they're in the process now. This one woman I'm talking to is in the process now of sending me, uh, helping me track down through her family tree who the dad might be. And they've kind of got it narrowed down to this one branch, sort right. of. You know, it seems like. The, but they sent me this picture of this woman who would be potentially my great great grandmother. Mm -hmm. And I, it looks like she stayed in Italy. I don't think she ever came to the U.S. And it's hilarious how much i look like this woman really like, it's almost impossible to think that i'm not her great 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 grandson or whatever wherever i am in the lineage holy but shit. uh it, so it's really funny you know to see that and just uh really interesting really interesting stuff you know i mean it doesn't whereabouts change. in italy do you know uh you know actually i um i i don't at the i i mean the, the 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 woman who's helping me uh, definitely knows that information, mm. and uh, it's, that's and now that you ask, it's one of those funny little. Uh, yeah. Oh, and by the way, you're my cousin, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, was, that was the whole point of this. Uh, no, no, I'm, no, I'm okay uh, with that. <laughs> who knows? That would be really that would be really funny. Uh, but um, no, the uh, the, the um, information that uh she I, I have that's one of these you know in the excitement of all this there's like certain really obvious key questions that i have i've yet to ask like oh what part of italy <laughs> so right. i'm sure i'll get there eventually but yeah i don't currently know uh yeah so that's Does, so what did you really did you do the 23 me to do this or just to sort of figure out what your heritage was and maybe no, no. not necessarily connect with people when I got when no when I got the twenty three me was like you know the very first genetic kit that I got was like a National Geographic one which I still haven't done I actually paid a hundred bucks for that like ten years ago and never actually 
sending in. I think I still have it. And uh, oh, sorry about that beeping over here. Um, and I, uh, you know, the and I had these kids, then the twenty three and Me kit. I think my wife bought those, and we've had them sitting in the drawers, you know, for another couple of years or something. I finally, I was going through the office just cleaning things, and came to these bo- little boxes, and just was like, ah, what the hell, you know? And I opened right. the thing up, and it's like one, two, three, you know, you spit in the tube, and you know, you just can't eat anything for half an hour or something ahead right. of time. And so, you know, I did what it said, sealed it up, sent it in. And then, um, I, I thought it was just going to send me, you know, cause they, 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 they make all these disclaimers right up front saying, you know, look, this is a, a, a you know, a pretty generalized thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still learning a lot about, uh, the human genome and, you know, this is, this is like, going to give you, you know, the, 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 and the examples they give you of the kind of information they can provide you are very regional and, you know, like you're, you know, from this side of the Himalayas (laughs) 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 or, you know, uh, just east of the Mississippi. Yeah. (laughs) I really didn't think, I mean, but the information when it comes back, it says, you know, you have 1,243 other, you know, um, uh, blood, you know, uh, genetic relatives, people who are you, you are related to through, through your genes. And, um, you know, you know, 98% of them are distant to sixth or fifth cousins, right? Mm -hmm. Then this tiny percentage here is, uh, you know, more like second or third cousins. And there's these three people here who are first cousins. That's wild. Right. And, um, and if you would like to, connect with them you send them a message saying uh you know a a share request and so i sent a share request and i got a a positive response back and i said well this is who i am and i'm you're apparently a first cousin of mine which means you're the offspring of one of the brothers or sisters of my parent you know so so your your mother was jane and i'm the daughter of robert and you know and like we're off and running and they're and all here in the states, incredible. right? Really, uh, I, the Irish side, yeah. I mean, a lot of the people, you know, the first cousin I spoke to. There's a bunch of first cousins who are still living, but my mother has passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father would have also passed away. Both grandparents have passed. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's a little. I'm fifty. I'll be fifty three this right. year. So I, I kind of started just a little late. But to be honest with you, you know. Adoption files, and especially in the in the state of Pennsylvania, were just incredibly prohibitive to access. Uh, and I, I never really tried that hard. I kind of made a couple of early forays into it, but just hit such you know I, I wasn't going to go paying thousands of dollars for like private investigator right. or something like that. To be honest with you, it, it was never that important to me. Um, and um, uh, my parents have been really supportive of any information I wanted to know. And I think of anything they they were. Uh, disappointed that they couldn't provide more information at, you know, one point or another. But, uh, you know, it was just one of these things, like, I really did not expect to get, uh, I did, the, I mean, the last thing from my mind was that I, within 48 hours of getting results back, I'd have actually a picture of my birth mother, you know. That's so crazy. That's cool. Yeah. Really good. Awesome. And, you know, and finally I got a brother living out there in the world and uh the other unfortunately the other brought the younger what who would have been my younger brother has passed away mm. so you know life being what it is but do you um, think you'll are you going to keep continuing to try to to try to contact your your other brother in chicago 
You know, no, nah, no. I, I, I think I would just, I, you know, I swatted the ball over to his side of the court and right. think, you know, I'm not going to bug the guy. Um, and, you know, and it's funny because I, I guess when this, all, this ball started rolling, I mean, there was this initial, uh, um, uh, you know, surge of, of, of uh, excitement of the satisfaction of this uh, long lost knowledge or, you know, and, and this stuff, just the surprise of, of even having the privilege of finding this stuff out, you know, just hit me so hard uh, in, you know, not in a very emotional way, but in just a like, wow, this is awesome kind of way, you know, just nice gift to get to find this stuff out. I never expected I'd know it, you know? Right. And so, so that was nice. And, um, and, and I guess I was curious to a certain extent as to, you know, how it would ultimately affect me. And I, I have sort of found that, um, though I, I may have, you know, I've a couple of the relatives who just the, some second cousins on the father side and some, and the one first cousin on the mother's side, you know, I might have lunch with someday or something, you know, it'd be kind of cool awesome. to see these people learn more about, you know, their family's histories and stuff. But, uh, you know, I, at the same time, I, I, I don't feel any kind of, um, I, I, I feel it, it hasn't changed much emotionally. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's not like, uh, there was ever, I had a great, you know, I, my parents were awesome and, you know, I don't have any longing for, uh, I don't, you know, feel like I'm lacking a, a place of sense of place or right, sense right. of belonging or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and I, I definitely in the nature versus versus nurture, uh, debate, I, I think I, I come down pretty solidly on the, um, on the nurture yeah. side of things. Yeah, it's it's it's. I, I think that you're much more the result of your uh, your environment. Ultimately, mm -hmm. uh, in your your nature is is what it is, but your environment is what produces the opportunities for whatever's good or bad about your nature to flourish. Mm -hmm. it's, it's funny. I, I was just talking, having a conversation yesterday about. Well, I put I posted a question on Instagram about it to the drumming community whether. Are drummers are drummers born like great drummers? Are they born or are they made? You know, are they? Is it? So does the guy just getting into drumming? what's that? Oh, are we getting into drumming? No, 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 no. We're just talking about. I meant I meant guitar players. I meant guitar players. <laughs> are are great guitar players born or are they made? And um, but the but but I I agree with you. I think that that it's it's nurture more than the nature of anything, you know? Well, you know, there's actually that you bring up the guitar players. There's that great interview with, uh, uh, Al Hendricks, mm -hmm. Jimi Hendrix's dad, where he talks about how, you know, he had a saxophone and they didn't have a lot of money and he had a saxophone and Jimmy was, was wanted a guitar and he, and, and, and he used to take a, a straw broom Hendrix would take a straw broom and air guitar with it. And one day his dad walked in the room and there was like all of this shredded straw from the broom on the, on the floor from, from young Jimmy wailing away on it <laughs> as if it was guitar. And, and he said, well, I, I figured he'd probably go further with the guitar than I was going to go with the saxophone. So I pawned the saxophone so I could buy him a guitar, you know? Wow. I mean, you know, my parents let me have a drum set in the basement. I don't know how many conversations I've had. Oh, not to talk about drumming, but I, I you know, <laughs> yeah, don't talk. To, I don't want to. I don't. I don't really want to go down the road of of drumming. I don't want to go too far road, down that road. I, I did have a lot of people 
that said, geez, I wanted to play drums, but my parents would never let me have a drum set in the house, you know? So, so, I mean, that, that right there, I mean, you know, that's step one. And so, I mean, right there, I, for me to develop the skills I have, it just was, uh, I had an, an automatic advantage right there that mm -hmm. probably you know what i mean that probably right there eliminated you know 80 percent of the competition <laughs> right right <laughs> like that's that was probably the biggest <laughs> you know so <laughs> and that's so it's such a strong i mean my parents were the same way they they were cool let me you know let me have a drum set uh like i said i grew up in in a in the restaurant business so uh i would i would i was working when i was you know seven so but i would come home and i'm like hey can i play drums and they're like sure you could and it'd be late it'd be you know nine o'clock nine thirty and they would and you know they would let me they would let me play and if had it not been for that like you said it, it eliminates a lot of the competition i've uh I students of mine where their parents like bought them drum kits and and de designated first, a room in the house the for the band thing. to play and What's it's that? like the first hurdle in an obstacle course being, you know, okay, climb Everest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and those of you that get past Everest, well, then then we can get to the rest of the course. <laughs> yeah. <You know>? Convincing <laughs> so your parents to let you have a drum set is is the first thing. Yeah, right. That's the that's the like Everest right there, and then you know, the, it's all smooth sailing after that. Right. Right. So did you, I knew, like, I know you grew up, you were listening to what you were listening to. I know you're a big Beatles fan. You love Zeppelin. You're a big Bonham fan, right? Big band guy. You were into all that kind of stuff. Were you playing along with all that kind of stuff? Um, well, no, I, well, uh, the first song I ever learned how to play was when the levee breaks. And mm -hmm. I think that's probably the thing that got, I just, that, I mean, you know, you know, look, it's even now it's like one of the most sampled things ever. Uh, and you know, the drum part, uh, the thing about Zeppelin drum parts was that they're so clear. You can really hear, you know, there's no mud to them. You can, and, and you can really hear how they're married to the melody. You know, you can, you can hear how he's, um, it, it just, it, it just makes a lot of sense, you know, to, I think a young, a young person, it's, it's just loud and clear and, and it's also, you know, pretty straightforward. It's, it's gr really grooving and it's, and it's, it's pretty simple. Not, not in this, not in the, um, I mean, it's just, you know, it's deceptively simple. I mean, but, but, but the, the basics of the, the coordination and everything are, are not, uh, incredibly elusive, you know, to, to sitting down and figuring out, um, at least the nuts and bolts of it. Anyway, as you get older and you start realizing, so much about the significant uh, significance of sound just the sound of the kit to begin with and and the feel and and all of the the subtleties in the differences between like a straight meter and swung and you know these different feels there's like a whole universe i mean when they say that uh the written music uh, music in its written form is uh really just the bare bones skeleton of it. I mean, it's really, really true. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the interpretation of anything is just there's uh, literally an endless universe of ways that people could play the same and have played that same beat. That is the beat for you know when the levee breaks. Right. You know, boom, pop, boom, 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 pop. That it's very distinctive for that song, but you know. Uh, I like what Robert Plant said about him. He said, uh, well, what people don't understand about, 
you know, Bonzo was that he he was a huge Motown fan. All he listened to was Motown, and that mm-hmm. was his was his you know those were his heroes, and that was his bar. So, and then when you know when you know when you hear that, it makes a lot of sense, you know, because that you know, boom, 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 you know, it's like yeah. I, I, you know, <laughs> I don't want to leave you know like oh like oh that's where he got the boom, 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 you know the the stereotypical motown fill but you know it, it wasn't until i heard robert plant say that that i went oh yeah and suddenly i heard all this motown drumming in what bonham does you know yeah. and it's obviously like he just spent his life ripping off motown but does it sound anything like motown no, no. you know so, you know, so that that's what I mean, and 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 I'm assuming that you know when you really get down to it, probably you know half the beats he played in Zeppelin were you know maybe possibly lifted right directly from Motown tunes, and you'd never really know it. Mm-hmm. If, you know, and, uh, you know, and and this, the same could be said for you know, I mean, if you look at the world of jazz, it just the the like if you just took one aspect of like the just the jazz ride. You know, ding, 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 right? At whatever tempo. And if you think about the variety of feels between how Art Blakey or Herlin Riley or, you know, Elvin Jones or Buddy Rich or Charlie Persip or, you know, or Mm -hmm. Baby Dots, you know, how all these guys and the millions of other drummers living dead. That played just that pattern, ding, 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 like that's every, you know, right? Right, right. That alone and all the different sounds of the cymbals, whether they had rivets or not, or thick or thin cymbals and all this kind of stuff, but not even, even eliminating the sound. Let's say every single one of those people use the exact same ride cymbal. You, there are probably out of a million drummers playing that same jazz ride. Over time, there probably are a thousand of them that you would be able to identify just by the way they play that pattern on exactly the same ride symbol mm-hmm. as everybody else. You would recognize Blakey's Blakey's ding to ding ding to ding ding. You would do it. You go that well. That's Blakey. Yep. Right. And 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 then Elvin Jones probably the same thing. You know. So it and that to me or or Galati, who I heard that podcast that you did with Galati. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, you know. It's amazing to me that just, you know, so that's like a whole, uh, you know, the, 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 just the rides, just the jazz ride pattern alone is an entire universe. Right. And you could say the same thing about any of the other parts, you know? And, yeah. and, uh, so, um, the, 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 you know, the learning that I, like I, somewhere along the line, I realized that, um, ultimately what, what anyone really cares about in music is the same thing that anyone ever really cares about in real life and just in human interaction is like who you are. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you can let go of, you know, what you can do and embrace the, this is who I am. And that's what then it's, you're going to sound like you or like Miles Davis said, you know, sometimes, (laughs) sometimes it takes a really long time to sound like yourself. (laughs) 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 <laughs> which was so great that he said it with that voice, you know, <laughs> like really drives the point home. But, you know, it's true. It's really true that, that, uh, you know, and, and, uh, I, so anyway, I don't even remember wh- where the hell that started with. You asked me well, a we question. Were talking, I we were talking about the, the left field. 
No, I, well, we were talking about you learning these tunes and then and learning, you know, sort of that gray area, right? It actually reminds me of something that that you said years ago in a Modern Drummer article that I remember reading, and you were talking about how when you're playing music, you're sort of driving down the road, right? And you got to stay in between the lines, but there's like that gravel on the side of the road that you can play with on both sides and kind of like. Oh yeah, well that's that's well that's the feel thing, you know. I mean that that's 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 the. You know the the center line is like that metronomic center, and you know you're you could be way off to the left shoulder or way off, you know, way in front of the beat. Which you know you could say the right side is like being in real front in front of the beat, and mm-hmm. you could be off the back of the beat. But then you know the other thing that I I learned too is is um which you know is it is that a lot of that stuff is really counterintuitive as well. Like um well I had this incredible experience uh. Walter Payton, the, mm-hmm. the bass player, Walter Payton, right. <laughs> not, the, not the running back, although it'd be, <laughs> this story would be so much more amazing if it was actually the running back. I'm not going to lie, it would be, it would be so, pretty amazing. So I'll tell you the story, but I want everyone listening to, at the end, forget that I said it was Walter Payton, the bass player, <laughs> and just pretend that it was actually the running back, Walter Payton, that said this to me, because <laughs> it will actually make... <laughs> even less sense or more it'll make more sense in a in a in a, in a, in a, in a well, okay so anyway the the uh so i was in new orleans for jazz fest i think it was it might have been when fish played there in 96 or something but and i was out at this club at like three in the morning it was kermit ruffins mm-hmm. was playing and uh you know it's music's going all night all over the city for like two weeks and um so we were out at this club, Kermit Ruffin's playing, and at like 2 a.m., Kermit's drummer has to leave for another gig. Right. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, Jazz Fest. <laughs> jazz Fest. So he has to leave for another gig, and Kermit says, oh, you know, our drummer has to leave. <clears throat> Are there any drummers in the audience? You know, because at this point, it's just a jazz, you know, they're just playing standards and, mm-hmm. and, and just a jam session. And, and it's also other people had gotten up there. I mean, coming and going all night. Friends of his, mm-hmm. clearly people he knew. And this is ninety six, you know, so I mean, you guys are you guys are big by that point. Yeah, I think we might have headlined one of the days on that mm. that one. I think. Um, anyway, so and and jazz fest for me for a little while for about a five or six year period was like mecca. I went every year. It was kind of, kind of religiously, you know. And then I mean, it just became more difficult with our touring schedule. And then I, you know started having kids and you know right it's just like you know it's um but um i'm standing in the bar and uh he says are are there any drummers and so uh my friend amy's standing next to me so get up there right you know no no and i I had a few drinks at this point you know so i wasn't gonna go up and embarrass myself and uh so this guy gets up and he plays it's great i think he was like from holland or something and he was really good. And then another guy, another guy. And I mean, at this point, now it's like four in the morning and, and uh, you know, and there's uh, still like 100 people in the room. And he, he, my friend yells, you know, he's a drummer, he's a drummer. And she's pointing at me and he's like, come on up here. Come on. And I'm like the last drummer in the room. You know? <laughs> so I get up and, ah, oh, what the hell, you know? So I sit down and it's fine. And, and uh, he turns around, and he says, uh, we play Sheik of Arabic which I know. And I said, Oh, great. Okay. You know, and <clears throat> so he's about to count it off. And this, this guy, Walter Payton, you know, I'd never seen before. I knew who he was, but I, uh-huh. but I, you know, I wouldn't recognize him physically. 
and and he he comes up and you know and it's like the seas part right and there's people oh you know and there's like a hush in the room and any of the jazz people that knew you know him and and there was another guy older guy with him who I don't remember his name and who it was. But it was a piano player, and clearly they knew each other really well. It was probably uh, like John Lewis or something. Right. You know I, mean? I just so I, I would like I, I would know by name, but I would have never recognized their face. You know, sure. and uh, you know, and so he, um, the two of them come up, and, and Kermit is you know as uh, is you know reverent, you know, and he's mm-hmm. here. Oh, you know, the, ladies and gentlemen, the great Walter Payton and John Lewis, or you know, whoever. I can't remember the piano. <laughs> player with I'm, I'm embarrassed to say but and but and the reason i remember walter so much is because what happened so anyway we're playing and we're playing chica vera beak and i'm i'm not i mean i'm playing very conservatively i'm just trying to have a good swing feel and keep a beat for these guys you know and uh we get to bass solo and he's there's a little piano solo and it's the four it's just a four piece too mm-hmm. it's just kermit now and these two guys and me and we get to the bass solo and i'm just going you know, just just tapping it out on the hi hat, closed hi hat. I'm not even opening the goddamn hi hat. I'm just <laughs> tapping it out, right? And he turns around at one point, and just looks over his shoulder, and goes, "I got it from here. <laughs> I got it from here." <laughs> and he kind of barks it at me, you know. And I'm just like, "Oh no, I'm mortified." Like, "Oh Jesus <laughs> Christ, I suck," you know. And I'm just, you know, really now I'm like. Just all I want to do is leave that stage, you right. know. And <laughs> and uh, so Kermit, obviously, he sees I'm um, can't get wait to get out. I can't get out of there fast enough. And uh, we finish the song. You know, I come back in, and Walter doesn't give me any more dirty looks. I think, all right, I'm, maybe maybe I'm, maybe he just wanted a silent space for for the solo. Anyway, we get we play two more songs, and they seem to go well. I had a little trading fours with Walter, even you know. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay. Uh, but, you know, when it ended, it wasn't like there was any handshaking or, you know, hey, nice to meet you or any, any of that, you know, <laughs> just like you just kind of put the Walter and the piano player gentleman and Kermit all kind of gathered together in the front there talking to each other. And they didn't even look at me. Kermit was great. He he said, oh, OK, great job, man. And I just shook my hand. And I, you know, pat me on the back. And I just nice guy. Right. Real encouraging. <laughs> Walter and the piano player didn't even look at me like they were just like, you know. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, Jesus. So I walk away and I go get, I remember, man, I got a vodka soda with a splash of cranberry. I mean, I can remember what I ordered at the bar. And, I, I, and, and I'm and i standing there and my friend Amy, so you did all right. You know, that was good. And blah, blah, blah. You know, and who knows? It was five in the morning at that point. <laughs> You're like, I'm never going to make it as a drummer. <laughs> You, not, you just not, you, you know, just had, you just headlined jazz fest. You're like, oh, you're, now you're mortified. Well, it's just funny because you know I have this great career in fish, and and it's great. It's been like a school for me, and I I'm so grateful for having had the opportunity to be in a band with other musicians of that caliber that my bandmates are because it's really pushed me to be a way better drummer than I think I would have been or otherwise, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, but um, but you know I. I there's that great James Bud Ulmer, you know, jazz is the teacher, funk is the preacher, and one without the other, you got nothing but the blues. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I definitely studied a lot of jazz, but, you know, I, I play in a rock band mostly, you know, mm-hmm. and so I'm not as well, <clears throat> you know, I'm not as, um, my vocabulary in jazz isn't, you know, what it what it could be if that was what I, what I gigged with right. all the time, you know, like, right. like Bob Glotty or something like that, you know. 
But <clears throat> certainly, you know, uh, I get most of my information from that world. At any rate, so I'm standing there and I'm having a sip of my drink and I'm still, I'm actually kind of shaking a little bit. Like I'm a little, I'm a little embarrassed and feeling right. very self-conscious and everything. And I'm standing there and this hand, this big mitt of a hand lands on my shoulder. Football my, player I'm hand. Going, <laughs> yes, football. Yeah, Walter Payton's. <laughs> like I feel that my shoulder would be like a perfect football, you know, <laughs> his hand. And his arm is around me and he hands on the opposite shoulder. At first, I kind of look and I look at the hand and then I turn and his face is right there. It's like right in my face. And, and he has his other hand right up in my face and he's going, he goes, it can be played or implied, but it's got to have that snap. Huh. It can be played or implied, but it's got to have this. And it was like somebody taking a crystal and sticking it right in your brain chakra there, you know, right. like where you just, and I feel like my entire, like up until that moment, I remember, you know, even in fish, you know, my bandmates would look at me sometimes like, where's one dude? Where, where the fuck is one? Where, <laughs> where how are you even hearing this beat? You know what I mean? Right. It's kind of all like real, you know, sort of rickety, you know, mule in a cart going down the road and you know it's holding together but <laughs> not i don't know that i'd say i was really a particularly grooving drummer at that point right it's like tennis and shoes in the dryer kind of vibe <laughs> I, yeah yeah you know like yeah you can kind of hear the cycles but you don't know what the fuck is like and <laughs> <laughs> like i i can i, I can I can tell there's some consistency to this but I, you know but and, not uh, a lot <laughs> but, and and I, th I really feel like overnight, and I've oh, I, it's, it's funny, you know, there are some, uh, you know, that when you did the podcast with Bob Gladdy, I mean, he's one of the greatest drum educators in the world. Mm -hmm. I had the, I had the luck to study a little bit with Joe Morello too. And, oh, did you know, you? just ed educator, you know, a teacher is a, is an entirely different skill set than a player. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You can be a great player. And a total shit teacher. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are like that, or guys who can't get gigs who can, but teach really well. You know? Right, or or I mean, the guys that teach real well are also it usually doesn't go the other way. The guys yeah. that can teach also can play, but 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 not everyone that can play can teach. Right, and, and I feel like to this day that was the greatest I ever had, and it literally took half a second, like. Literally just went, it's got to have, it can be played or implied, but it's got to have that. And it was that, from that point forward, I know it may sound shocking because by 96, I had been a professional drummer for, you know, 13 years or something and, and had been playing drums from when I was eight years old uh, up to that point. And I honestly feel like I maybe didn't quite understand the fundamental function of my instrument until that moment i hadn't actually hmm. embraced the role of the drums in their groove and rhythmic sense i think that through led zeppelin and the who and and through mitch mitchell listening to hendrix I, you know funny thing was i was always like got a, a closet guitar player and i think that through and zappa and a lot of the people that i liked i i think that what i did get was a strong sense of how melodic the drums can be. Right. And that I 
I tended, my ear tended to go with the melody. And so when the guitar solo kind of would take off, I would hear drum accompaniment that would go with that. And, and I, and I could hear how the drummers in those bands that I just mentioned and Zappa's bands and, you know, and, and Mitch Mitchell or, uh, you know, and Bonham and people like that, 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 that I could hear how they, they were following the melody and how that went. But somehow I feel like the, the ability to really establish the pocket too, or that, that the primary thing is that that pocket has to, you sure be melodic as hell. Be as, I mean, be all the, Bob Galati transposed all of Charlie Parker's saxophone solos onto a drum set. I know. But there's never one second. There's never one second. You watch some of the videos of him doing that. It is grooving as hell. Mm -hmm. There's never a second. You're you're like, where the hell's one? Never. Right. Right? And he completely fulfills the Walter Payton, the football player Walter Payton, (laughs) drumming drumming axiom of it's got to have that snap. Right. And um, I thought that was an unusual thing for a football player to be, (laughs) to be so tuned into, but Hey, I don't care where the insight comes from, (laughs) you know, as long as it comes Um, there. Right. As long as it it gets there. But no, I mean, at that, that was the moment where I was like, Oh, right. Right. First and foremost, there has to be the pocket. And then, then you can be Mr. Melody. Sure. Fine. But you know, you take all this information though. So what did you do? Did you go into the practice room or did you like be, and because now that you're saying this, all right, if that was 96 and this may be me, like just trying to put these pieces together, but it seems like the sound of fish changed like 90, 97, 98, 99, it got a lot tighter to me. It got a lot funkier. It got a lot groovier. Like there's a, there's a ghost that you guys well, played. I would say, I, I will say, honestly, there were a lot of things that fish did as a band. There were, there were some musical changes that we embraced in conversations about things that we wanted to do musically and ways we wanted to communicate on stage that certainly contributed to that part of our evolutionary stage. Mm-hmm. What were um, some of the things that you guys discussed? We had been doing over the years, a bunch of listening exercises mm-hmm. that were designed to tune us into each other better. Like the, um, is that the, the, like the hay hole exercise? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which I think has been pretty well presented out there. Um, but, and I think that there was a conscious em- embracing of, of creating grooves and pockets and funk. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess, I, I don't know. It's funny. I, I've never really thought about that. I never really thought about the timing of it, but that conversation, that moment with Walter Payton, the football player, <laughs> uh, in the, in that bar where he instilled in me the importance of how to drum properly. Um, that, that moment I, I do think actually from, from a, from a, from my personal perspective, I, I think that I remember Trey saying to me one time, he goes, I don't know what it was after I did a Port Tornado tour. And I, mm-hmm. so that contributed to it too, because Port Tornado had a lot more straight ahead funk and rock. Right. And, and, but it was all sort of around the same time. And he said, I don't know what you've done, but what, whatever you did, I feel like your drumming is so grooving that I don't even have to play guitar now. <laughs> you know, it's, it's making my job is so much easier. And I, and I remember there, there were times in the earlier part of our existence where he would express frustration at having, you know, like, hey, I, you know, I love to go, you know, off into the stratosphere. But he goes, I, I feel like a lot of times I've got to kind of like 
chunk out you know i gotta play like more rhythm guitar because like no one's no one's keeping the beat like right you know mike where everyone's not he's not blaming point he was never even pointing fingers he's just saying you know that there were a lot of moments in jams where no nobody was playing this particular role there was right. nobody was was establishing that snap whether mm -hmm. implied or you know mike was playing melodically i was playing melodically page you know so and and so trey would feel like i'm gonna just kind of play i'll play the rhythm role but but he would express that that was kind of different difficult when it's all it's it's like asking your hair to support the weight of your you know body instead of your ass right right <laughs> you know, you know, it was like there was no ass it's like you took the hair off your head and put it where your ass used to be and your, your hair to carry the weight of your body you know? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, that's, that's that's you know kind of what i don't i said that just now he, he didn't that wasn't anything he said but he could have said that I, I think the reason you're like i don't want to give i don't want to give trey credit for that that genius uh quote right there <laughs> but no because well he does have a lot of hair and, and when he said it i think i actually pictured when he would express that picture, i think i actually pictured in my mind like his hair you know have <laughs> hold up the rhythm i don't know i don't know why that image jumps into my head but at any rate <laughs> so <laughs> he uh you know and but i i understood that but what but the funny thing was you know essentially what he was saying every time he would say that was what walter payton said mm -hmm. there's got to be that snap it could be played or implied but that's got to be there and I learned that from him. I internalized that from his words. And then I applied that when I did these side gigs like with Pork Tornado. So the timing was fortuitous mm -hmm. that I had a, more of a, a meat and potatoes type of, you know, way, place that I could apply that. And right. then, you know, that, that went over into Fishland as well. And, um, you know, I think it's also a maturity thing. I think when you're younger, you know, you feel like, you're not doing much if you're not playing all over the place, you know, right. but we, we, you get older and you just kind of realize like, you know, it's okay. You know, a good, a good groove is enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's enough. It's you, you, it, you, you, you know, that's I, I, no one ever complained to Clyde Stubblefield or Jabo Starks that, you know, no, <laughs> that if they were doing enough. Yeah. <laughs> Air drum on two and four. God, God damn it. Is that all you're going to do? All right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Is that all you're gonna play? Is that pocket shit all night? <laughs> what are you gonna go do? Pop, do pop all day? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. As please. a matter of fact, I am. <laughs> yes, please do that all day. You know, so you know that's that's the thing. I, and once you kind of grasp that, I think you know it's like, oh, okay. Well, now this guy really is the limit because mm -hmm. there's a basement. You know, a good palace is built on a solid foundation. You know, right. Right. And you look at the buildings that, you know, go the highest and furthest, they they've got the best foundations under them. And, you know, well, sure. there's a million analogies to make. But it's just funny how long I did it before I feel like I really understood it internally. Well, you also have I would say, you know, a lot of the tunes that you play are especially early days of fish are. They have all these crazy different drum parts in them. They have different, they have changes. They have this, they have that. So a lot of, I don't, I, and, th and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think a lot of those tunes really lended themselves to like two, four backbeat stuff. 
I don't know. That's where I disagree. Yeah. That's where I've learned. Yeah, because I've learned that that's not the case. Be- that's where when you think about what he said, it can be implied. Right. I honestly feel like if I'm playing, you know, the you know the crazy section at the end of Fluffhead, that mm-hmm. you know it's like kind of faux Latin-y, you know, do that, 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 you know, thing. I now when I it's funny because when when we're playing, it's those types of sections where I am most self-conscious of keeping the pocket now. It's mm. not just flail, flail. Now, now it's this is where I really need to be careful not to let that pocket disappear. I right. still want people in the audience to be just like I almost want it to be not even noticed, like not disrupt the flow. Right. There's another thing that I found too that it really helps with that is – and which I've been trying to develop more and more is that whenever you're playing in an odd time to always have something going, just hammering out one, two, three, four or the and or whatever. But just, you know, so if you're playing in, you know, in seven, it's like dun, 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 dun. You know, you just keep the hi-hat, you know, it's got to have snap, right? It's got to have that snap. But, and so, and, even if you're playing in like 15 or different, you know, if, if you're playing where you're, you're, you're adding or subtracting, you know, 16th notes as, as opposed to eighths or quarters right now, still there's, you can learn the relationship, uh, you know, that the, that having something going straight through there, uh, will have to the, the changes that occur in the, in the body of the beat along the way. And you can just keep that going straight, you know, and, and so it'll, it always gives the body and the ear something, something approximating a metronome, right. not that it has to be metronomic, but, but just that there's, it's almost like a percussionist standing there with a shaker, you know, just right. like no matter what weird shit you do, there's that shaker just, you know, it's like, you know, Ciro, mm-hmm. Baptiste, you know, yeah, you know, the play, the, you know, the Trey's band, that guy, you know, it's like, there's sometimes... And, and, you know, and, and Russ and Tony and Ciro are very syncopated and they work, you know, in these kind of hypnotic groups. But, you know, sometimes they'll be like, uh, Russ will get into some fills or something and, and, and you know, and Ciro's just like, you know, those those baskets or something. And it's mm-hmm. like this. And so I try to, there's only one drummer up there. I'm trying, when we get into like the, the odd, you know, there's that section of Harry Hood now that, you know, dun, 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 mm-hmm. dun. Right, that I don't even know what the hell that is. I just sing it now. I mean, I used to know, but it's but uh, <laughs> I can sit here and figure it out again. If I but but what I do is I I just keep I, I used to I used to hear it in my head, but I couldn't really do it. I just keep a hi hat, just going chick 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 chick, you know, straight ace through there mm-hmm. now. And so it does change the relationship between the body of the beat and the hi hat goes from like you know boom, you know, the bass drum and the hi-hat together like you know on the same beat you know, chum, 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 you know chunk along but then it'll go like it'll go from like you know together to being like do chick 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 do and then together boom you know yeah right it'll well because if you're playing an odd time that's eighth notes the relationship will only alternate between do chick do chick you know one and two and one and two, and then both them together right mm-hmm. it'll they'll go one you know it'll, it'll be one two three four and then one and two and three and four and one two three you know but if it's sixteenth notes it'll go one two three four one e two e three e four e 
one and two and three and four and a one, a two, a three, a right, four. Right, right. Right? So that – once you learn that relationship, then um, then that's – then that's a cycle that you're familiar with and it starts to become as normal as anything else. But the beauty is that that offset of where the hi-hat is going on the E of the beat, the and of the beat, the of the beat, and then back on the downbeats again is really the hi-hat playing straight. That's the result of the hi-hat not moving. Right, right. From its beat. The rest of the beat might be moving. Mm -hmm. but That's where everyone can hang their hat. Right, but the hi hats where you can hang the hat, right. or it could be ride, or it could be the kick. You know, it could be, it can be, um, you know, any of the limbs, or it could be, you know, two of the limbs and 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 then one. You know, another thing I've been loving to do lately is, um, in that same vein of thought, is um, learning how to play quarter note triplets and the ride on the bell of the ride over straight four four rock beats chalk dust torture right mm -hmm. instead of you know ding 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 you know going over that right so if you ding 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 over that then every third measure right so if you hear it in in three four right like the quarter note triplet would be if you're hearing it that way, then every, every Are you talking about the, third, cor the chorus or the verse? Either way. Yeah. I mean, it could be for the jams or, it, you know, right. it, it's in, uh, I mean, I do it. I, I don't just do it in time. I mean, anytime there's like a four, four jam that goes out, uh, sometimes it's a, not every time, but just, it's, just, it's a thing that I, I've noticed. If you're just playing, you know, you know, one end on the one end and three end on the kick and two and four on the snare. Just that, and you play a quarter note triplet over that. They don't. It doesn't hook up. It hooks up every third measure, not every two measures. You know what I mean? Right. It, every each measure, it's every third measure. So if you're hearing it in four four, the the fourth measure, if in four four, mm -hmm. right? A one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a one e, right? Four e and it becomes it's like one e and a two e and a three e and a one e and a two e and a three e. And a, but 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 each but. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're, the fourth measure becomes the first measure according to the where the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Four and, the, and the and the four four and the and the other limbs meet up. Just, I hope this makes sense to people. It, it makes sense to me. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but but and and reason I'm saying it this way is because this is a drummer's podcast, right, so it's like right. great. We can talk shop, even though we're not supposed to be talking about drumming. But okay, <laughs> we've, we've got far into it at this point, so. But so, yeah, so I, I, you know, that's something, but again, that creates sort of a, a um, you know, I th think what happens when you have, uh, well, so, so in that case, the, the beat, the main body of the beat, the kick and snare and hat are kind of like the constant and the, and the ride, the quarter note ride is the thing that's, you know, causing the, the rest of it to feel offsetting. Right. You right, know, right. Yep. It, so, so it's, um, uh, but but the but the point being that I, I think that when you are are um, even though in that context like with the quarter note triplet ride you, you're not really playing in a different time signature you're still in four four mm -hmm. but um but but you you have you your brain does have the option to drift into hearing a four four as a waltz yeah you know what I mean you kind of, <laughs> yeah. 
which, by the way, is how Elvin Jones drummed. I mean, that's that. If you want to like really get into like the meat and potatoes of like, if you had to boil down Elvin Jones' drumming in one short concept, it was the interchangeability of three and four. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. What I mean? mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, Max Roach did that with the you know the drum also waltzes right that piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really can hear that. He does a lot of four four stuff in the context of three. Yeah. When I, I remember oh, and, and, you, when I was and, younger and, learning learning that concept of like playing in three, you know, playing three against four and being able to hear three and then being able to hear four and being able to right. inter- or or do it with two and three, you know, because a lot of the, you know, most American music is two, three clave flipped e- either one way or the other. Exactly. Right. And this is what we're saying is essentially at the heart of like Afro, all Afro-Cuban music yeah. is that, you know, it's six, eight, four, four. It's how you want to hear it. But. But um, so that isn't, um, it, you know, but it, it's it, it though it's not playing in an odd time. It's um, the, the nature of it creates a three a three dimensionalness to the to the sound. You know, mm-hmm. I think it. And so by applying that same idea where you are playing in 15, you know, 15 16th notes, but you're playing straight eighths against that, you know, or you're playing uh you know, in seven, eight time and you're playing straight quarters or straight ace against it, you know, it, it, it creates that uh, like this 3D, you know, right. Uh, sonic image, I think. And and it, it keeps it keeps odd times from sounding herky jerky. Mm-hmm. We used to discuss that a lot in fish. And I think maybe in those late later 90s, that's part of what changed the sound, too, is that um, we started to become frustrated with um, uh, what one of my. One of the things that turns me off about like a lot of fusion music mm-hmm. um, that ha- happened in the '70s, you know, that sort of got their, its birth out of the whole Miles Davis rock bands and uh, Bitches Brew and all that kind of stuff. You know, I love Weather Report and Return to Forever and uh, and and Ma Vishnu Orchestra. Visions of the Emerald Beyond was yeah. one of my most uh, you know mind opening experiences when i was 14 years old i heard that album for the first time it just changed my life you know mm-hmm. but but as i got older i realized one of the things that kind of frustrated me and i think that visions of the emerald beyond is a little bit of a, a exception to the rule i think neuron michael walden somehow pulled off the impossible which was to be playing in these odd times and he wasn't necessarily keeping something straight going through but it sounded funky as hell even <laughs> though really yanking you around you know what i mean like it was throttling you and throwing you around like a rag doll but it, right, but, right. it but it still grooved its butt off I means you know but but a lot of times though the the skill and the dexterity and the, the sheer you know the chops and uh, articulation of of the these uh people's ability to get around their instruments was shockingly you know supernatural almost yeah. like holy crap you know i mean i'm never going to be able to do things on the drum set that i've seen like people like dave weckel or something you know i mean there's some of these technicians I, out that are I just like it. are you kidding me you know or like chambers these people what or you know virgil donati or uh, i was who's at, the other guy that I, just, I was at a uh i was at a fish show coincidentally and i was we were sort of sitting behind you uh i think we was in albany and like this is like the late 90s or something like that and my buddy Tony Vishikini, I'm calling you out if you listen to this. And uh, he sit, we're sitting there, and he just puts his arm around me, and he points at you, and he goes, "How does it feel knowing you're never going to be that good?" 
Well, you know, I was it's like, funny. I said it feels pretty shitty, but thanks for bringing it up. Well, well, whether that's true or not, I mean, we all have that. I mean, that you know, I I think probably even people like Dennis Chambers. I think there's probably you know, the funny thing is probably Dennis Chambers looks at like Levon Helm and goes, "Damn, I'm never gonna be." <laughs> Right, so it comes full circle. Yeah, I'm never going to be able to groove like that. (laughs) I could play it like Mach six and think in like eight different time series just once, but all I really wanted to do was play like Ringo. (laughs) You know, I I just had it. You know, and like, and it's and then it's funny. I'm not even saying that jokingly. That's the thing that's so incredible about the world of music Mm -hmm. is that you know, so so. You know, for me, it's the same thing. I look at some of these technicians and go, well, that's, you know, ah, but I love learning the music. I love learning the instrument. I love increasing my vocabulary. You know, it's, if you love doing something, you're just going to keep going along. I mean, and eventually you're going to forget, you know, it's like that saying, uh, ah, kid, you know, I've <laughs> forgotten more than you know. You right. know, like it, it, I'm probably, you know, t- 10, 20 years from now, I'll end up in a situation where, like, the stuff I'm working out at the time, I'm just re-reminding myself of shit I forgot about <laughs> from, like, my 20s, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did do that, again, didn't you know? I? Do you know why when you tune a drum, you're supposed to go diagonal across the drum? That's because your drum is flawed. I hate to break it to you, but your drum is flawed because of the way that the edge is the typical edge doesn't allow the drum head to sit on it properly so when you tighten down one lug it causes the drum head to shift and pop up on the other side that's why you have to tune it diagonally but now with the new sonic clear edge from mapex that's a thing of the past the sonic clear edge allows the head to sit flush so it promotes ease of tuning increased shell resonance and optimal tonal clarity so you're going to have to do a lot less work and get a lot greater sound. To learn more about the Sonic Clear Edge, go to mapexdrums.com. You may sit at the back of the stage, but the band revolves around you because you set the tempo, the intensity, and most importantly, the tone. And the easiest way to set that tone is to play Evans drum heads with Level 360 technology. They're trusted by industry-leading drummers like Chris Coleman and Anika Niles. These heads offer the most consistent fit for every drum for max tunability all around. Thanks to Level 360 technology, Evans drum heads fit perfectly across the shell and allow for increased tension to help you find your sweet spot. Plus, they take you beyond the normal tuning ranges for higher highs and lower lows. Now, the sound that you want will be the sound that you get. For more information, check out EvansDrumHeads.com. Now, let's get back into it with John Fishman. But, uh... Uh, oh, what the hell was I saying? So we, we were we were um, we were just talking about the idea of of uh, you know looking looking at other people, having your mind blown oh, yeah, no, by no, all these other people. And no, so 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 no, no. So it was it's the thing about the odd the odd the you know the real fast odd times things is it's like you know you have these situations where everybody's hammering out seven eight. You know everyone's hammering out. You know, and and I'll, I'll give you that that, that section in Harry Hood. Is a good example. We're all doing. Right. I'm kind of playing straight through there a little bit, and then I get on it with them. So there's a, a little tension and release there. But you know, it, it's like a period of our existence that was a little more 
you know, we used to make fun of ourselves. Like, hey, we look, we can play in 13. Look, we can play, you know. And right. it's, you know, but then we go, but fuck, we can't play. Like, we can't play a Stones tune. <laughs> you know, like, we, we can't, we, 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 you know, like, we can't play Satisfaction and make it sound good. Like, right. you know, we, we can't, you know. So that's why we would learn things like cities or, you know, like, th- and so even then I was, you know, I was orbiting around that concept of first and foremost, it has to groove. Right. <laughs> we all were as a band, uh, which, you know, culminated with Walter saying what he said, but it, it used to kind of drive me crazy when I'd listen to some of the real high end odd time stuff that you know like that and everybody's going and and it's not and it's not um you know it just was you couldn't dance to it yeah you know you can't you can't you're not you're never gonna move your body to that so it may have been really satisfying cerebrally but it completely sacrificed it was the trade-off was your ass was glued to your chair yeah yep your jaw might be hanging on the floor but you know, your ass wasn't moving either. I think so, there's a lot of that happening now with, with drummers that are like, sort of like you said, they can play just insane shit that I could never even imagine playing just like, just through the roof with chops. They're like, you know, they're, yeah. they're technicians, but like, you, and then, but they can't play a groove or they can't play a groove without doing a fill every four bars. Well, and honest to God, I mean, after a while, I mean, how many times have you found yourself thinking like i'm really impressed with this guy but i wish he'd shut the fuck up a lot you know you know like you know a little bit and and so you know and and we we would get into that territory i mean i'm Mm -hmm. guilty of it too i'm just saying you know i I mean i know both from listening experience to others and playing experience myself you know and um, how frequently do you walk off stage and you're like man i played way too many notes you know, never anymore. No. I mean, when I was younger, you know, it, you, we used to have conversations about that in the band. Like, Jesus, I, we played everything at Mach 6 and everything was like just so many. That was a lot of notes. Right. And it was always it was always mocking. Like, we, we, like no, it's funny because, you know, there's all these things like the these fish chat groups and things, you know, and, and, and every once in a while someone will say to me, uh, oh, do you know uh, – Oh, do you hear this thing that so and so was? They're ragging on this or that about you, and you know, and, and I just, I always think, God, if they, if those people ever had any idea how much worse we are on ourselves than they could ever, find, right? You know, like, you know, like no band ever gets good unless they're the first ones making fun of themselves. You know, right. like you're just like, you know, and so we would come out the stage and go. Oh, that was a lot of notes. Yeah. You know, we, oh, you know, that must have been good. We played, you know, 10,000 notes a, a second. Or, you <laughs> know, and we would just, mo- you know, we were just making fun of it, you know, and, and, well, and, and we'd have, you know, serious conversations about Jesus. Can, can we get up there and just let's, can we relax a little and, and be, and be not so uh, uh, afraid of silence, mm-hmm. you know, and, I think that's a huge hurdle for musicians is just embracing silence. Again, just like with the groove thing, the groove is enough. Silence is enough. Yeah. Yeah. If you start with that, you're really, really in great shape because you have everywhere to go from there. Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, and yeah, it can be really terrifying and terror is great for music. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like a 
great thing for music. Like, you know, it's it's fantastic thing for music. Terror is an incredibly effective musical. Why? Because it gets you out of your comfort zone and gets you doing things that. Well, you know, it's you, you know, it's like in a musical situation. If you're sitting there going, oh, boy, this feels weird. (laughs) That's always a good thing. Yeah. Not because of any particular articulatable reason like uh, it because it gets you out of this or that Mm -hmm. or to this or that. It's just it's a real emotion. Right. And and it's and it's very uh, uh, it, it has a very strong presence. Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 it focuses you. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's a fight or flight thing maybe, or, uh, yeah. you know, and if you can manage to use your head and not lose your head, it can result in some incredibly beautiful journeys mm-hmm. and, you know, where you end up, you know, getting yourself out of trouble and feeling really good that you survived the journey. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, uh, but yeah, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny how long it can take to get the simplest parts of this. Yeah. The, the one yeah. thing that you mentioned that, that, uh, that I wanted to talk about is the fans, right? So you guys have a rabid fan base. Obviously you have for years. I'm, you know, admittedly part of that fan base. Um, and the difference I think between fish fans and other fans is that when you two fans go to see you two, they're like, they're the greatest fucking band in the world. And then you go see Rolling Stone. They're like, they're the greatest fucking band in the world. And then if they go see fish, they're like, well, Trey missed a note in the, uh, in the third song. It's like, what the, like, how did, how did you guys, how do you guys deal with the fact that your fans love you so much, but are, but scrutinize you guys a lot, don't they? Well, I, I think that's, I mean, I, it, I don't know. It probably is because we, you know, like I said before, it's probably because we, we were, we spent so many, look, I, you know what? I'll tell you another thing that happened in 96. I mean, I am <laughs> answering your question, even though my thought process jumps around, but, but, but in 96, when you were asking me before about, well, what, you know, so Walter Payton says this thing and uh, you had these conversations about, here's another, this was huge. This is huge. This is a big reason. And and this is probably even a bigger contributor to what changed our sound. We were in, I can't remember where we were. It was a sports arena someplace because we were in a locker room for the backstage room. Mm -hmm. And um, I can picture the room. I can picture where the door is. I can picture the color of the carpet. It was green, the lockers, the benches, everything, the little table of food. It's funny when these things happen in your life, these like seminal moments, it's like, you just like, you know, it's this heightened awareness. Brain records, whether you knew it or not at the time. And um, we were having one of our very typical bitch sessions about <laughs> how shitty we were. Right. After the show or, or like set break? During, during break. During break. <laughs> That's always a good vote of confidence at, at, at halftime. <laughs> we come off. We're all, everyone's being hard on themselves. I play this doing exactly what you said fans do to us. Right. right? But a hundred times worse. And we're doing it to ourselves. And we're all – oh, I missed that fucking – you know, I, I couldn't get the, you know, like the, the groove and rift drifted again. And, mm-hmm. uh, we, you know, we got to get locked that up better and you know, blah, blah, blah. And we're saying what we're saying, you know. And Trey says what he says. And Mike's quiet. Paige is quiet. It's usually me and Trey. Right. Where actually, with mouths in the band and we're yammering away about this and that. And, you know, and anyway, P- 
Paige goes, you know, we've been doing this for 15, 20 years, whatever it was at the time. So we, we the fact of the matter is that a break is supposed to be a break. <laughs> and, you know, we come off stage and we always get into this stuff. And then it's like we go out for the whole, like for the first three or four songs of the second set, we have to like dig ourselves out of this fucking hole. Right. This mental hole that we put ourselves in. And when, you know, we're supposed to be having fun and this is supposed to, you know, and well, 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 we're having fun. We're having fun. You know, we love playing music, but you know, but, but yeah, but the fun and he said, and it was great. He said, the fundamental thing here is that the fact of the matter is that in the next 15 or 20 minutes, which is how long the br- we le- have left after the break, after we've finished the first 10 minutes arguing or whatever, the next 15 minutes, none of us is going to change so fundamentally in who we are or how we play our instruments that anything we say here is going to make any difference at all. All it's going to do is put us behind the eight ball and we're going to go out there and suffer for the first three or four songs before something happens that makes us forget our woes and we actually get back to playing music. Right. And it was so true. That was another one of those like Walter Payton – Paige's nickname in the band over the years has been dad because he he tends to say the really smart thing right at the right time right like that kind of you know he just like always very sensible guy he, he lo- seems like, like he seems like he would be uh the the voice he's he's actually one one of the guys that i that i got to spend significant time like i played with him um a bunch of times at nectars and stuff so like uh he's very much the voice of reason. the voice of reason for sure you know, not he's. I mean, he's, all of us have taken our turn in the in the dunce seat for sure. I right. mean, we we've all you know. But but Paige has at very critical times along the way, and that and that was one of them uh, where he's really really come up with the the right thing. Mike's done it too, but in a very different way. He'll say one word a certain way at exactly the right time, <laughs> and all of us will be crying on the floor, laughing, and it'll alleviate whatever tension was happening. He right. just somehow with one sound can actually make you cry laughing. Um, but Paige was more, it's like the voice. Re- so none of us are going to change in this, during this short little break. And no matter what we say, fish is still going to play too fast. And Trey's going to still think he played too many notes. And I'm mm-hmm. still going to pound out my chords and Mike's going to still meander around on his bass or whatever it is, whatever we're being critical of. Right. Rick is still going to be too fast and foam is still going to be too slow or whatever <laughs> it was. Right. We're all going to, everything is going to be exactly. And so right then and there, the group decision was that the, the res- we all agreed with that. And so then the question was, well, what do we do about it? And I can't remember. I think it might have been Trey who said we should have a no analyzing rule. There should be a hard and fast rule that says we are not allowed during a gig to analyze anything. That's for rehearsal. Mm-hmm. You you rehearse, you rehearse. It's like the Charlie Parker quote. Learn everything you can and then forget all that shit and play. Right. At the gig, we're as good as we're going to be. We've done all the homework that we can do. Now we just have to forget everything and just play. Right. If, if, we, if we look back on that and we think there were some things to improve, then you, you go and you work on that and you work on it until you work on it. And then when you get to the gig, the next gig, forget it and play. Mm-hmm. You play at the ability and the level you're at at that moment, and you accept the fact that you're always going to be going back to the drawing board. You're always going to be working on the next thing you're working on, and uh, you know that's that. So, uh, so of course, you know the next gig, uh, and I remember this too, is that we came out the stage, 
Uh, oh, no, I was at that gig. I think we ended that gig with an antelope. Mm-hmm. And it was a great antelope. And we came out the stage, and it was just before the encore. And I go, well, that antelope was awesome. I love that antelope. I'm meeting Mr. Positive. And they all look at me, and they frown. Paige and Trey go through, what are you doing? <laughs> like, well, I'm just I'm not analyzing. I'm just saying, I'm just coming. goes, well, if you say that you loved antelope, by default, you're implying there was something else that you liked less. <laughs> now, we don't know what that is, but that's a form of analyzation, which is true, right? I yeah. Mean, technically, yeah. I, analyze, I analyze, right? right? And, you know, the impulse to analyze is so strong that, you know, you really had to consciously keep your fucking mouth shut. Yeah. Just at the risk of saying anything because it was going to be interpreted as an analyzation. Right. So it was, it was amazing because, you know, I like, you know, yeah. Well, if, if you love animal, if animal, I think I said something like, you know, that was my favorite part of the set. Well, if that was your favorite part of the set, that means that, right. you know, I saw, okay. Well, I know it wasn't riff because you sped up during riff. Well, so that means that, you know, <laughs> the five other songs we played, you know, were less favorite to you than that one. So now we have an order, you know, now we've, now we've got an analysis, you know, right. So, so, uh, you know, the, the, the seeds of an analysis here. So, uh, that was, uh, you know, so from that point forward and to this day, there has been a conscious, no analyzation role in place at gigs during sound check, you know, we'll you know, sound check things. We'll say, Oh, let's right. try it this way or that way. You know? And, uh, and, but I got to say, I mean, there may have been any, I mean, look, there's been, I could probably count on one hand the times where there has been a little analysis allotted for some technical reason, and it's always qualified with <laughs> a statement. The person saying it will go, look, I, not to analyze, but I do, I do want to just say this one little thing. Right. And, and, and can I, and it's almost like asking permission. Can I have permission, special pass to make an, a, 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 what could be interpreted as an analysis of something for, for the sake of something we're about to do? And it usually has to do with some technical thing like uh, one of the New Year's gags, mm-hmm. you know, something like that where you're coordinated with dancers or signals and things. Right. And so be, could we play this a little slower than we did at Soundcheck because I noticed that the, you know, the sales got ahead of the – where we were supposed to be and, you know, right, right, right. whatever it was. So it's, it's usually a special, uh, case. Um, but it, it really, honestly, one hand, I think I could, I could probably, you know, if I really, and I, if I really thought about it, I might, I don't even think I can come up with the particular instances it's happened. It's just, I know there's, I can, I can remember people saying, you know, not to analyze. I know we're not supposed to analyze mm-hmm. but, and then kind of making some statement. And, and it's always very, very, very abbreviated. Right. It's, it never becomes a conversation. Everyone really veers away from it. And it's it's amazing because it was like the most liberating fucking thing in the world. Yeah. I mean, it, it freed us up tremendously. And that's probably the biggest, single biggest reason why the changes that happened in our music in the 90s that you are talking about that you liked – I I would say that that is the primary change, hmm. the no analyzation rule. Yeah, and 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 to this day, even now, we don't really analyze afterwards. We just go like our whole attitude is like, God, we are. I love being in this band. It's incredible that we're like all as good friends as we still are, and we 
And everyone around us in the business world says, man, you guys know how, you know, like every other band out there, like they hate each other. And you know, like, all right, stuff. Right. I don't know how that's, but comparatively, like you just don't understand you guys are, it's unusual on a personal level. And, and, and you know, and just the way you guys respect each other, communicate with each other. And, and you know, and, and I think that to get back to your original question, you know, maybe, maybe it's a, you know, reflective of the way we used to be and that we analyzed each other ourselves more but i think maybe somehow the consideration that we give to ourselves and to the music and to each other and you know somehow comes through in the music and maybe people who say you know oh trey missed that note or fishman missed that beat or whatever mm -hmm. and that they're listening to it at that level of detail implies to me a certain amount of love uh and uh and effort i mean that means you're putting effort into listening. Yeah. And, I mean, and that means there's no, there's no mistake that the relationship that, that you guys have with the fans, you know, I, cause it's right. kind of, cause you guys are like, and speak like, I mean, you guys are, you know, to, to be fully transparent. I mean, I went my first fish show, I went to see you guys in 96 at the spectrum. And it literally is what made me decide that I wanted to play drums professionally. Like that was it. Wow, that's really cool. Like that was All it. Right. And I was, I mean, I was 16 years old, you know, and I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. And ever since then. That was the, that was when my, the very first thing I saw, my mom took me to the Syracuse Civic Center to see Buddy Rich when I was 10 years old. Really? And at, at that point I, I had had a drum set for two years, mm -hmm. you know, cause I, the first thing I heard when Led breaks on the radio and actually wanted to get a drum set to do that. Right. Right, and I think at that point I had learned the when the levee breaks beat, um, but jazz was like this monster around the corner that I just couldn't even relate to the jazz ride at that point. I was still just working on getting a straight quarter note right. or eighth note ride, you know, to be independent of what the kick and snare and hat were doing and stuff. Um, and when I was thirteen, I took some drum lessons from Dave Hanlon, and he showed me how to read music, which you know, in a very simple, great teacher. Really mm -hmm. communicated clearly, wrote it down, explained it, taught me how to count it like verbally, and uh, and then I was able to, you know, I've always learned better by ear. So once I, I I only use paper to be able to see what happens together and what happens apart and how much space there is between the things that happen apart from each other. Right. But to sort of see that relationship. But then once I can see it, and then once I can do it a little it's like riding a bike, like you get the feeling and then you're like, Oh, okay. Right. right, right. It's this. Mm -hmm. So I started to be able to do the things that I could do in rock with my snare and kick and hat and stuff against the ride. You know, I started to be able to do that against the more irregular ride pattern and jazz. Sure. But anyway, the point is that I, when I saw buddy rich, um, though I was already in love with drums and already loved doing it. And it was the thing that I did. No one had to tell me to do. I, I did as a hobby and on my own. Um, uh, seeing buddy rich at the civic center when i was 10 was the thing that that um made me go right. like you said right i want to drive that yeah like, whatever that that's machine is, that's I what want, it was i want to do that you know it was like a spaceship or something you know and uh and i you know that that was really what made me like that's what i want to do mm -hmm. and that's i yeah. mean when and that's why you know i saw you guys uh that was that was the defining moment for me but you guys have all and i think all of us fans feel this way that that you guys feel like you're like the home team you know like you're not 
you know, you're, you're, you, you fly under the radar a lot. You guys can do 13 nights at MSG and still fly under the radar, but everyone who are your fans know that, that you're there. You don't have a lot of radio play, all that stuff, like all the stuff that, all the shit that's been talked about and documented before. But I think that's, you know, me, me speaking from as a fan, like, that's why we love you guys, you know? So it's like, uh, then I think that's why everyone is intently listening and you guys have that close relationship with the fan base is because people are like, yeah, that's like, it's like our fucking band. It's not like, it's not like going to see well, Katy Perry or something, you know? I lost you at the very tail end there. You said it's not like, Go, it's not like going to out. see Katy Perry or something like that. We, yeah, well, I mean, they're, you know, and again, and like in music, it's like, that's the, there's so many I mean, it's, it's, it's as varied as anything else in nature, you know? Right. Like what we do, what Katy Perry does, what, you know, Snoop Dogg does, what, you know, Buddy Rich did. It's just, it's like all from the same dirt, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's incredible how, you know, it's, it's, it, there's as many different ways of music as there's galaxies in the sky or plants on the ground or whatever. It's, it, you know, uh, it's, it's, and I, I, just, I, for me personally, I'm not a religious person in terms of like um, belonging to a religion or a particular philosophy. Or um, you know, I was raised Jewish. I'm not, I, I'm not observant of of Judaism any more than I am any other religion anymore. Right. I, I like them as art forms, sort of, and philosophies and stuff. But if for me, the, if I was going to say that there was a place of worship it to whatever God is, whatever you want to think of it. I feel like the place where I'm definitely the most in immediate contact with that, other than things like just breathing mm-hmm. or like swimming in the ocean or those kind of big, you know, or like looking at the stars, like that kind of thing where you just, you're, you're such an obvious tiny particle in this much more huge or massive hole. But where I feel like maybe somehow in touch with that uh, plasma or the physical existence of the th- whatever it is or wherever we all come from right. is when I'm as deeply engaged in the act of music as possible. And when you really do achieve this place of uh, like um, you can almost hear the sound of someone not listening more than they're than listening. Right. It's almost like that you're so connected orally that if if Mike, you know, kind of wanders off in his own world over there for a second or something, like you can really hear the disconnect. You can really be like, oh, well, he's he's uh, where'd he go? You know, mm-hmm. oh, oh, he's back. There he is, you know, or, or and there's been times where like we've been playing and, you know, you can hear somebody like I'll disconnect. Right. I'll I'll like be uh, like have my eyes shut and I'm looking down and something happens in the music that makes me look up and I do. And all three of them are looking at me. <laughs> really? Yeah, like where they're going. It's almost like they were like, "Oh, you're you're back, fish. Nice to have you back." <laughs> oh, hello. You, know, like, uh, you wandered off there for a minute. You know. Oh, sorry, guys. You know, <laughs> it's almost like you know, and and then that's happened a lot, and it happens regularly. Like that's a regular part of my life. You know, um, the or like where something will be happening, and like I, someone does something, and I hear. You know, and I, I like look over a page and he's looking at me, he's looking right at me, he's looking at, you know, it's, you know, and uh, it's amazing. Uh, and I feel like that when I'm in music, that's where I'm really 
engaged in like this whole that's greater than the sum of its parts and you can almost feel yourself dissolve into this thing that your own identity you're still it really does make me wonder if after you die if you retain any sense of identity because i feel sometimes like this must be what it's like to be dead like or something like that where right, right, right. it's like i almost feel like i can my, my visual mind almost becomes like a a camera overhead that I, I, I can like I, I'm like just looking my body's on autopilot and it can do no wrong. Everything that's happening in the music, the arms and legs and hands and feet are going to where they need to go to to answer back or to communicate or to whatever you want to call it is engaged. And my brain, my conscious brain is like this other part, almost like an audience member. Like outside of me, looking down on the whole thing, going, "Whoa, this is fucking great!" I don't even know how this is happening. You know, like, you know, and it's like almost a separate part, you know. Right. And and I feel like, like I get whatever, to see I get to see a fish show. <laughs> a little bit, like a little taste of that out of body experience, and it's almost like whatever God is, it's in this. It's it's in music. It exists right. in music as much as it exists, you know, and. The interesting part about it is I don't – although I have some really high points, you know, playing by myself and practicing, and I really enjoy practicing. And I enjoy being in my studio and playing with the other instruments and trying to multi-track and mm-hmm. do, you know, one-man band stuff, you know. Um, but it 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 just – even on the simplest level – I mean, I've, I don't feel like I've ever played a great drum solo in front of a crowd, but I've played <laughs> unbelievable drum solos by myself where I thought – too bad there was no one here to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but I, you know, but but uh, but even in those moments, um, they aren't remotely the same as even that whole being the greater than the sum of its parts things. You know, happening on the simplest, basicest level. It, like I did this ranked choice voting benefit thing the other day at mm-hmm. uh, Bayside Bowl in Portland, right? and I played with a group of musicians I'd never played before. There's one guy on the stage that I played before once, and uh, you know, it was like magic. There was some great stuff that happened, and you know, everybody was real, you know, there was like no egos, and everybody's open to whatever was happening, and you right. know, we just went with it, and it was just like listen and go, and um, there were some songs, you know, I didn't know any of their songs. I played along with their songs and it was like felt like i'd been there forever um but you know there were those moments where it just you're doing this thing in this group of people and it just creates its own gravity and its own weather system almost Mm -hmm. and do you think that dynamic would be the same if like if you put a new bass player in or a new guitar player or a new piano player in? oh with fish yeah oh no 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 that i I, i'm saying okay on one hand like playing with these guys at bass eye bowl the act of making music with other people is a form of worship. That's what I'm getting. Of course. To me, that's the the closest thing I know to church. Right. I just listened to Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace album, part of Amazing Grace album today, right? And there's Mm -hmm. her featured, but she's singing with this great choir, right? Mm -hmm. The Southern California Baptist Choir. And, you know, the track Amazing Grace itself, she's singing. You can hear the people in the, the... in the congregation, you know, sing it, you know, testify. Yeah. Go sister. You know, like you hear these little remarks, but mostly it's her voice in the microphone, but like the back, you kind of hear like, you can, you can feel the, I mean, even just on that record, you can feel the support she has in that room and how they're like, 
egging her on. And then, you know, and then at the end of it, like when the choir joins her, it's, it's like the ocean. It's like this, it's like she's, oh, suddenly she was this lone voice on a beach and now the ocean has rolled in with her. And it's like this incredible fucking thing, you know, and, and it's, it's like, and they're in a church. That's, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, if look, if that was the music in my church, then I would definitely be a very religious guy. (laughs) I'd probably go to fucking church every day and I, I get it, you know? Right. Um, it, 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 and, but, but it's the, it's no different for me when we do a fish gig, I feel like I get the same feeling on stage there that I do listening to that Aretha Franklin album where it's actually people in church worshiping. I feel like I'm doing the same thing, exactly the same thing. And to me, if people are listening to it in such great detail that they're, that they're critical of hearing what they think is a mistake or this or that here. And that means that they are actively as engaged on that worshipful level in a way that whether what they're saying about what they're hearing is positive or negative, they're putting effort into that. And that is a form of observantness, Mm -hmm. you know, that one would have if they're in a house of worship, but I'm not saying people should be worshiping us. I'm just saying you are, you are being observant the same way that a religious person would be observant of the things they're saying in the, in the Bible or in the, you know, uh, you know, Quran or whatever book they use, you know, that they're, you know, the Bhagavad Gita or, you know, that they're mindful of the words that they're saying and the congregation, you know, the, the minister or the uh, imam or whoever is, saying these words and the people are being as mindful of the words that they're hearing and what they mean in their own life and how that reverberates in their souls as any audience members in a concert, Mm -hmm. you know? And I would say that even at the Katy Perry concerts and stuff like that, there's probably people that are engaging in it in the same level. And I'm not, and I don't think that Katy Perry necessarily isn't either. You know what I mean? It just sounds different. Sure. You know, it's in, in, you know, there's different kinds of thoughts that go into it, you know, and wh- whatever you want to like call like commercial, right? You'd say, mm-hmm. oh, well, well, they're sort of aiming for this type of thing and this type of sound, and it's sort of a commercial thing. But all that is is just trying to figure out what's going to reach people, given the skill set that you have. So if I'm Katy Perry and I'm a singer and I sing a certain way and I look a certain way and I present myself a certain way – and I noticed that these are the things that get a reaction from people. And these are the things that people seem to not care about. And, you know, mm-hmm. and then you end up evolving into that way, whatever ways seem to engage people. And I guess the more you look at it like that, the less judgmental you can be about any one party's version of that or another. Yeah. Uh, no, I you know, yeah, yeah. It's a matter. Then it's just a matter of taste. You know, it's like you can say, "Well, I like." Uh, I mean, I've heard people say that about religions too. Well, I, I like. Um, I converted to Judaism because I found a certain beauty in uh, the, you know, the, or I like. I, I, you know, um, well, I, you know, Aretha Franklin was the singer in my church, and that's why I'm religious. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. you, yeah. know, you know, I mean, it, it's, 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 it's. Um, but that. That to me is it. It's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing as as going to going to church. I love that. I do. That makes sense. Uh, Yeah, and and I'm not. And I think, and you know, and everyone does that. You know, I mean, some people go to church just to pick up girls. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like say that. They're they're worshiping in their own way. I don't know. know? 
<laughs> hey, I'm not here to judge. You know? <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, but I got to say, I, I feel like that over the years, it's kept me younger. It's kept me healthier. It's kept me, it has sustained me like in a lot of ways, really physically. I mean, and I, how how do how do you do you maintain it because of that? I mean, is that what is that what keeps it going? Because it's you guys have been doing this for thirty plus years. You know, you sold you you've you've done everything. You've had hundreds of thousands of people come to concerts. You've sold out Madison Square Garden. You've done. I mean, you've you've checked a lot of huge uh, boxes off off of any musician's list. Uh, you guys have done that. You guys did it a long time ago. Um, so what is what keeps you guys, you know, what keeps you, what keeps you pushing forward? Is the, is it that, is it that, that experience and that, what you're, what you're feeling when you're on stage and, 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 you know, how do you keep it new? Uh, well, oddly that entire thing that you just asked me got cut off. Oh, was, how do you keep it new? <laughs> Cause you're getting cut up when you come, when you're talking to me, I don't know why, but okay. But wait, I realized that my little train of thought over there didn't come back around to your original point, your original question, which was, well, what if you put a different bass player or a different keyboard, a different thing? So I just want to finish that thought, which okay. was, so for me, playing with Fish or or playing a Bayside Bowl with the guys that I played with is a form of worship, right? No matter what, the act of music is a form of worship. But with Fish, for me, and I think it's probably safe to say it's true for the other guys too, but speaking only for myself, I think that you that is the sound of 34 years. Yeah. It's just the sound of 34 years. And you only get one of those in a life. Mhm. And 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 there's other guys I've known as long. Like Jamie Maysfield I've known as long. And there's a certain chemistry that we have. There's a certain sound that we just make just because it goes way back. But it's different in that um Jamie and I haven't been through the same kind of stuff together. We didn't grow up together in the same way. And, um, and, and though any act of music can be a worshipful act, it, it is a, um, it's like you can have great friends and engaging with your great friends can be very deep and meaningful, but with your wife or your children or something, there's like this, okay, we're in this for life. Right. And, that's going to take us to places that that test us and stretch us in ways that, frankly, you can avoid in any other relationship in your life if you want. Right. But you can't avoid that in a marriage. Eventually, uh, you're you. If a marriage is going to survive, you gotta. You're. It's either going to make you or break you. Right. Right. You know. And and I and I think that my relationship with my bandmates is 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 uh much more like a marriage at this point than it mm -hmm. is a, a friendship it, it's um in the, not that there isn't deep friendship but that it's um and, and you know I, I mean you can stay in a marriage and it can be it can be a marriage in name alone and it, right. people you know, do that but i mean I'm, I'm talking about you know an actual healthy marriage where the people remain engaged throughout their life and and at the end of the day they they're 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 better for it Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they would both agree with that, you know? So I think in, in my relationship with fish, it's, it's that kind of a thing where it's, it's, there's so many 
aspects of it that are responsible for not just, you know, how good or bad I play an instrument, but, but for like who I am and like, you know, there's character development and, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's stretched and tested and it, you know, it, it, it made me, you know, right. it makes you, makes you, breaks you. Well, well, it, you know, it, it, for the four of us, it, it, it made us. It, yeah. And, you know, Trey, Trey made a really good point. We were talking about, you know, you know, we're at the age now, we've been doing this for 34 years and, you know, a lot of the guys who are our idols, you know, have died. Mm-hmm. They're, they're dying. They're starting to go, you know, we're on deck. You know? Oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Just say it. I mean, <laughs> we're on deck. No, I mean, you could still be 20, 30, 40 years out when you say that. I mean, right, you know, right. but my point is, you know, when I was young and, you know, John Bonham and Keith Moon died, I mean, that was heartbreaking and they were before their time and they were young men. But now, you know, you're talking about people who you idolized who are, you know, in what my friend Dan Archer calls the drop zone. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, they're 60s, 70s. 80s you know you start to go well you know i mean well joe morrell died at 83 or something like that and yeah you know it's like to be expected you know okay you know a lot of the rock guys some of them live pretty hard and it showed up you know earlier but but my point is that so you know like when greg allman died Mm -hmm. right and you know we love the allman brothers and when greg allman died you know it was in the paper and he he had done all kinds of stuff but he was Greg Allman from the Allman Brothers. And the very first thing, that's a sentence. It's like, Greg Allman, 71, from the lead singer from the Allman Brothers. It started with his brother Dwayne, yada, 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 right? No matter what, no matter how, no matter what any of the four of us do from here on out in our lives, and no matter how big it could be, like, let's say, you know, uh, you know, Mike goes and does – you know, Paige played the meters, you know, plays the meters or, mm-hmm. you know, Mike, you know, uh, you know, uh, Trey's solo band starts selling out Madison Square Garden or, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day, someone's going to die. One right. of us is going to be the first one to die. And no matter which one of us it is, the first fucking sentence, no matter what any of us have done, I could become the governor of the state of Maine. And at the and when they write the obituary, when they write the first article, the first sentence is going to be John Fishman, original founding member of the drummer, the drummer, the original founding member of the band Fish, and also the governor of Maine. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what you know what I mean? A president of the United States, right? You know, head of the World Health Organization. But the first fucking thing they're going to say. It's going to say founding member of the band Fish. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a great thing. It's it's that's what I mean by marriages. Yeah. Friendships are one thing. Marriages make or break you. You know, you're, you're, we were talking about before your environment, you know, nurture versus mm-hmm. nature. I mean, 34 years, the, the majority of the years of my life on Earth were, were nurtured by my being in Fish. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the environment that I've been in for the majority of my life. Did you ever think that it would get this big? Did you ever think that it would last this long? I, I would, you know, to be honest, I'll say that when it first started, I felt really good about it. I felt like it had all of the, I think we had a great name. We had a great logo. We had great musical intention. Um, 
and we seem to be all on the same page with what we liked and didn't like in music. I mean, we're we're all different fans of different types of music. Like right. Mike barely knows who Frank Zappa is, and Trey and I were big Zappa fans, and Mike could care less, right? Mm-hmm. But or you know, Paige is a big fan of the Stones and was really a, you know. Jet, I mean, but look, if it weren't for those guys, I I you know I don't think I would have nearly the appreciation for. I would never have had developed the appreciation I have for country or bluegrass if it weren't for Mike. Right. And uh, and you know, I I would not have developed the appreciation I have, or, or nor would I know anything about classical music at all if it weren't for Trey. Mm-hmm. And. Those guys are the starting guys, of course, from things they introduced me to. You know, you meet other people. They tell you, oh, you like this Stravinsky, this. You should listen to that or whatever. Right, right. You know, but it, it goes from there. But I also, without Trey, I think I would actually have not had any appreciation for rap either. I no. remember standing in his bedroom when we lived in uh, Winooski and we had the Ice-T, Ice-T's first album. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't really like it at first. I was listening to it, and he goes, "You wait." He goes, "Just like every other form of black music." He goes, "This is good. No one, everyone fucking hates us, and in a year from now, this is gonna be the take over the entire world." <laughs> and he was exactly right. Yep. Is because it's what you know. He goes, "It's the next American music, and mm-hmm. all of it has come from the black culture, and it's it's the, America's original art form is just continuing on." Yep. And this is the next phase of it. And and all of the ugly racism and stupidity in our country is going to resist it until it's going to reach the suburbs and everyone's going to fucking – and I watch it in my 14-year-old son. All he listens to. He has no – I mean they like fish because I'm their dad. But otherwise, right. I mean, if I put on Santana Law and Brothers of Dead, they would never fucking listen to that. I mean <laughs> he, he's not – you know, he's like all – he knows – all the lyrics to every single hip hop new, like the most commercial hip hop stuff, like right. the way that, you know, like when I used to wake up in the morning to my radio and like Ford or hot blooded would come on or whatever, like this shit that you're hearing all the time, like the, the, the commercial, the really, you know, commercially promoted stuff or, you know, um, you know, the seventies. I mean, that's the equivalent for him is like, you know, um, it, 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 it's it's all it's all r&b hip-hop is like mm-hmm. the category that it's called now but it's, you know and um and uh and 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 it's 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 taken me it you know it, for a while it was like completely foreign and weird and i couldn't you know there was some stuff i couldn't wrap my head around and then like i'm i keep having more and more of these moments of like ah, <laughs> oh that's, that's pretty cool. cool and one of well one of the things i've really noticed about it in general is I was saying before how important it is to not be afraid of space. Mm-hmm. Well, man, and fucking hip hop is not afraid of space. Yeah. I mean, there's some of those tunes that are nothing but one or two, a male and a female or one male voice or one female voice with a lot of reverb and like two other sounds. <laughs> and one of them might not even be a drum beat. Like it's, 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 it's like, you know, I told you, baby. You know, like it's, it's you know, that's it. That's the whole fucking thing, and it goes on like that for ten minutes. You're like, whoa, this is a, ama- you know, right. and it's funny because there's times where I'm just like, oh, this is, you know, like I find myself going through that same thing, like when I was a kid and I was just learning drums, and it was all like playing like Keith Moon, and I'd hear Creedence Clearwater Revival, and loved Susie Q but couldn't quite put my finger on why 
Right. It's the like same, you know, or like the Neil Young one note guitar solo, which, you know, you'd be like, you know, and be like, you know, I love the fuck out of this, but I kind of feel like I should be hating it, but I love it. And I don't know why. Right. And I, I'm going through that now with like a lot of the hip hop stuff. Like, it's like, your guilty pleasure. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of amazing, you know, and I can't decide whether it's like, it's amazing that he's getting away with this or it's amazing that, you know, that it's like this good and there's like nothing to it, you know? So, but you could have said the same thing about, you know, James Brown or like a lot of great artists along the Mm -hmm. way or, you know, and then of course, you know, at the end of the day, that's the thing, you know, jazz is the teacher, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the hardest thing to do in music is to play really slow and really sparsely. Yep. Some of my favorite records, some of the best examples of that are those Joe Pass, Ella Fitzgerald duets. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard those yeah. records? Yeah, yeah, No drums on those. It's just Joe Pass playing two and three note chords and her singing. And there's like, it's 80% space. And it's just the most incredible, like, it doesn't put you to sleep. It like has you on the edge of your seat yeah. the whole time. Because yeah. you just can't stand like what's the next sound i'm gonna hear <laughs> and every time it's so fucking good and every time i know it's just gonna be either a guitar string or her voice yeah but i even know what the three possible sounds it could be are <laughs> you know <laughs> you know the two possible sounds that it could be every time it's like and it's still I'm, gonna be I'm, awesome yeah I'm, I'm still caught off guard oh i can't believe it what a surprise <laughs> you know and it's like amazing it's amazing how you know like how the fuck do you do that how does you know that's to me is uh you know and i the people who are achieving that in the commercial world at the highest level i think are a lot of the uh hip-hop and rap artists now mm-hmm. it's it, not that there isn't plenty of, you know, I mean, what I loved about Public Enemy, too, was the, you know, the cacophony of it, the craziness, <laughs> too. You know? I mean, that, that, there isn't plenty of that. But, you know, when you go from, like, Public Enemy and, and like, uh, some of the earlier root stuff or, um, you know, NWA and that, it's like, you know, there is a lot, there's a lot more going, that's, mm-hmm. like, big, full, and noisy. And it, it's interesting how, you know, um, you know, by the time you get to the, you know, uh, it's so funny because right now there's like the names of like 10 people going through my head and I can't fucking name them. I, like, I see them every day and it's like on serious, you know, at satellite. But it's like my son just has it like on autopilot. So I'm just listening and I'm not like he knows all the lyrics and knows the names of the artists. It's like, right. so I'm not paying attention, you know, because it's like. Is it like Migos doing- and Cardi B and. That's it. Migos. Yeah. And yeah. Name some more people. Uh, Cardi B. Um it might there there might be some Nick Grant in there. I don't listen to a lot of new hip hop. Oh, Migos um, is definitely one of the ones he likes. Um, like Post Malone. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know a ton of. I admittedly don't like. I grew up listening to hip hop. There's a couple of some people too. So I listened to all that like NWA, EPMD, Public Enemy, all that stuff growing up, and then right, that's the stuff that kind of grabbed me earlier on too. And Fish was younger, and mm-hmm. then but then. The more spacious stuff is. It's all the like the trap beat stuff, right? Yeah. And 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 uh, anyway, it's so you know it, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to me how how the this you know the same you know the, the concepts don't ever change. It's we definitely sound like two old white guys talking about hip hop right now, though. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. I I am an old white guy. <laughs> 
I'm proud to be an old white guy. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs>So there you have it, John Fishman from Fish. That was part one, and I hope that you enjoyed it so far. And again, we're going to release episode two or part two of this episode next week. So you can check that out. And for links to everything that we talk about, you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 368. Thank you so much for listening and stick around for part two coming next week. And until part two, keep drumming. Thank you again for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.